My cheating students thought that they had me fooled, but in the end, they fell right into my trap. Here's what happened. Subscribe to Am I the Jerk on YouTube and hit the bell to turn on notifications. I am a cancer researcher and a guest professor at a university school of medicine teaching my specialty, imaging. Besides the usual acquisitions of medical images using MRI, CT, etc., imaging has a lot to do with image processing. Some days, I am just a glorified programmer slash IT guy. And as anyone who has ever programmed anything will tell you, coding is a very personal activity. With enough experience, you can tell who wrote what just by looking at the lines. I'm also in my late 20s and I am not native to this country and it is my first year as a guest professor. So some students look at me as this inexperienced, gullible, foreign guy. As part of my modules grading, the students have to submit two reports that weigh 10% each of their final grade. These reports are about image processing and they have to code a fair bit. As usual, there are students that make an effort, some who do minimal work, and some that cheat and copy. As I was grading the reports, I noticed a small group of students who found reports from previous years online and literally copied and pasted those reports, changing only their name. It was a facepalm moment because those reports were not even good and they had a lot of errors. You see, in order to establish a baseline for my grading, I browsed previous year's reports so I knew what to expect from the students of this module. Naturally, I graded them all with a zero and kept working my way through grading reports until I had left. Meanwhile, the students casually asked me in the halls, how are the reports? Of course, I can't comment on that until I release the grades. One time, this dude, who copied from another report 98% match on a plagiarism checker, asks me when I will release the grades and comes up with this story that he worked really hard on his reports, that his exam hasn't gone so well, so he's hoping that the grade on his reports are enough to get a pass. I mean, submitting another person's work as your own is very wrong, but it was an online submission and impersonal. Right now, he was just lying through his teeth and to my face. I could feel my blood boiling, but I didn't lose my composure and decided to come up with a plan. I knew that my exam was the last exam of the semester and that after that, the students usually go home or on family vacations while they wait for their grades to be posted online. So I graded the exams and input their grades into my Excel with their report grades. Four students had zero due to cheating on their reports and if graded, their reports with 50% of the max grade they would barely fail the module, but they would fail nonetheless. So it was on. In order to be fair, I bumped everyone else's grades. A bunch of people with miserable reports ended up barely passing because of my grade bump. But even though the reports were bad, it was their own work and not copied from anywhere. You see, students are entitled to make an appointment to review their grades after publishing and before the grades are locked for the year. Basically, they sit with me, we go through their exam and reports, and their goal is to convince me to give them extra points and hope that they pass the module. I knew the cheaters would come. After all, they think they fooled me once already. They still have half the reports points to bargain for. So I just waited for their emails. Lo and behold, they write me the same day the grades go online saying how hard they have worked on their reports and they don't understand how they only got a 50% and that they wanted an appointment. I was ecstatic. Sure, let's review your grades. Do you remember that my exam was the last one? Well, they were already on vacations, some very far away, and begged me for an appointment online. No can do. University policy. Moreover, you have three days to show up for your appointment. Otherwise, the grades are locked. Also, university policy. 
So here they come, cutting their vacation short, catching planes, some spending hours in buses and trains to make it on time. I know what many of you are thinking. They come, I show them the plagiarism checker results, and reveal that I know it's not their work and send them on their way. Well, I considered that, but I had something better in mind. Those appointments usually take about 10 minutes. I show them their work with my notes on what's right and what's wrong, and then they try to find some inconsistencies in my grading and bargain for more points. I ain't giving you the opportunity. Mwahaha. So one by one, they sit with me individually and I go through their exams and reports. Remember that they copy the reports and copied bad ones with lots of errors? I ask questions, lots of them. Why did you do this? What is your reasoning for this? They don't know. It's not their work. They mumble random stuff because they don't know what to answer. Point by point, mistake by mistake, I explain why it was wrong, how it should be done, lecturing the same material that they had already been lectured on during class. I make it long. I make it boring. I make it painful. I spent hours with each one of them throughout those three days. They always came with the same, I worked so hard on this, and a little smirk on their face because they thought that it should really be easy to fool me. The gullible foreigner again. As the hours go by and I am walking through the errors one by one, I could see their expression change. Little by little, their hopes of passing slowly being crushed. And when they realized that I knew they cheated and I wasn't going to give them any extra points, at this point, they would just try to cut the appointment short and leave, but I wouldn't let them. We need to finish the review of your grades. It's university policy. And I would just keep going, extending their misery for one more hour or two. It was legal torture, plain and simple. It was glorious. At the end, every single one of them left with a crushed soul look in their eyes and a fail in my class. They knew that I caught them, that I baited them and they fell for it. They ruined their vacation and their family vacations, spent money to travel back and forth, wasted precious summertime, got bored to death and have nothing to show for it. And next year, they will have to repeat the module with me. I hope you enjoy your summer. See you next year. For a little more context, this was in the EU, not in the US. I took the matter to my boss, who is their course director, and he told me not to report them because the university wants to avoid any kind of legal action at any cost. I couldn't even accuse them of cheating. For those that are worried about my bumping the grades thing, I made a judgment call to bump some of the grades of some students who had a good exam score and their report grade was pulling them down. They clearly knew the topics and studied. Their report was just not very good. So I decided that if it wasn't for the report, they would pass to bump it up a bit to allow them to pass. Most of them went from failing at 49% to passing at 50% on their overall final grade. So was I the jerk for setting up this trap to waste these cheating students summer? In this story, I'm just surprised that the original poster here would spend his own time to go through all of this. I get that he was striking back by making them having to fly during their vacations and interrupting their whole summer. And that's a lot bigger of an expense than just sitting for a few hours in a room where he was already at anyway. But still, Still, it's wasting a lot of your own time, but I guess that's kind of how a lot of revenges go. You end up getting back at somebody even if you get hurt in the process. It seems like overall there are teachers that take cheating really personally, and there are ones that don't take it personally at all because they figure people are always going to be cheating. I'm guessing since he's relatively new to this school, he's taking it more personally than he would if he was teaching there for over 10 or 20 years. But with all that said, he did accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, even though as we found out in the end, he kind of had his hands tied behind his back because he wasn't allowed to pursue the whole 
cheating accusation part of it. He was able to focus on why the work that they copied was insufficient. But it makes me wonder if he wasn't able to pursue the whole cheating part of it and report them because the school's afraid of lawsuits, then what would happen if the thing they chose to copy was a perfect 100% flawless report? Would they just get away with it by default? Because it seems like a lot of this towards the end was a series of bluffs. And what I mean by that is that he was focusing on what was wrong with the report they copied without directly saying that they copied it. So if you were the teacher in this situation and you found out that your students had cheated, what would you do? How would you handle it? Let me know down below and jerk or not a jerk and why. My girlfriend has been trying to get me fired from all my jobs. I am shaken. Please help me. I'm a 24 year old male and I've been with my girlfriend who's 29. Let's call her Janice for two and a half years. I just finished my education when we started dating and I have been doing all sorts of jobs since. Sometimes two jobs at a time. I did this to expand my resume and gather job experience. I worked in cafes, bookstores, a library, a grocery store, and as an English tutor. Most of these jobs lasted about three to five months. My shortest day was two and a half weeks, my longest eight months. But since I didn't have a hard time applying for new positions, I tried to block it out, though it was kind of eating me up internally. People called to complain about me. People left bad reviews about me. People used my employee Wi-Fi access to look up sketchy things on the internet under my name. Former employees called to inform them about me, right name and all, and much, much more subtle things too that I can't disprove. But I was too anxious to do anything about it. I just told my girlfriend. She comforted me. She supported me every time I got my life ruined by these people. But I kept going, though they kept finding me. Fast forward to this week. I currently hold a part-time position in a bakery. I've been working there for two months and a half. It's going okay, but my manager approached me about something regarding our Google reviews. Someone was complaining about an employee and their description of them could only really fit me. It was on a day where we were pretty short of staff, so I could have been the only person in the store on that day for all I know. Anyway, their review contained some pretty elaborate and nasty comments about me. This has happened on one or two of my jobs already. I told my manager that it was all pretty bogus and that someone had a vendetta against me as it has happened before. She believed me and told me that she'll dismiss the comments. On my break, I checked out the review myself. Their username was kind of stupid. I'm not going to type it out here since I still work there, but I'll just call them McMyrtle. As it was in the same range of sounds kind of fake, but not really. Anyway, I come home, but I don't tell Janice about it. She has heard it all before, so I didn't see the point of complaining about yet another time I almost lost my position. We chat all is well, and she leaves the room. Her phone is on the table, and suddenly she gets a notification or an email of some sort from Google. I don't remember what it said exactly, but the pop-up read something along the lines of McMyrtle, manager has responded to your review. My heart dropped. I've been trying to ignore it since. This was two days ago. It just fit in the picture of bad reviews. It fit in the picture of phone complaints my workspaces have received about me in the past. It fits in the picture of all the sketchy things that I've been fired for. Why would she do that though? I'm looking for an explanation. This literally can't be. She's the only thing keeping me sane. I don't know what to do. Jumping into the future, there is an update. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, people who are still invested. A lot has been going on. First of all, yes, we broke up. That's why I'll be referring to her as my ex from now on. Anyway, let's start from the beginning. On Monday of the following week, I couldn't take the uncertainty anymore. I told my ex I needed her booking account to book a train ticket to visit my dad for a few days. She complied, and when she was in the shower getting ready for work, I booked my ticket and started looking through her emails. After some digging, I found an email to herself which contained a spreadsheet file. I sent the file to myself, printed it out, and took a screenshot. Why? The spreadsheet contained about every single piece of information about me that there was. Numbers, emails, passwords, work times, colleagues, their numbers, social medias, as well as some emails and passwords that she used for accounts to ruin my life with. Everything was on there, conveniently stored for her to ruin my life as efficiently as possible. When she left for work, I decided it would be best to immediately pack my stuff. Nothing that mattered would be left behind. I felt like a wanted man, like I was being hunted despite nothing being seemingly out of place. I called my boss, told her I would be taking some time off from work and headed out to see my dad. Needless to say, he was the sanity that I needed. I cried about everything I saw. I panicked for a whole two days straight about how my life was ruined and I didn't know what to do. He had to sleep on the couch in the guest room because I was so scared of my ex coming in. He handled it like a champ. I love you, dad. He called the police, a lawyer, and most recently a therapist for me because I was in the most horrible state of my entire life. We're currently sorting out the legal stuff. I haven't talked to my ex except for letting her know that it was over and that she is a sick psychopath. My dad handled the rest. I changed all my passwords and I'm now looking for a place to live. Sorry for the brief update. My mind is tangled. So what should I do? The most obvious question that I have a feeling the OP is going to want to go back and get some closure from is why did she do this? A lot of people have put out theories, but it seems like the two most likely reasons are probably she wants him to be dependent on her. She is older, if that makes any difference. And maybe she feels like if she keeps stunting him over and over again, he can't, I guess, get away from her. I mean, his exact words were, she's the only thing keeping me sane. And after seeing what she's done in order to create this situation, it's almost like she's engineered the whole thing so that she is the only one keeping him sane from his perspective. 
perspective. The other popular theory if she's totally out of touch with reality is that maybe she's convinced herself that she's helping him by getting him out of all these jobs that she doesn't deem to be good jobs. She might justify this by saying that she doesn't want him to spend years at an entry-level job when he could instead get a better job that's not entry-level, that pays more money, that has more prestige. And maybe she rationalizes it by thinking if she keeps pushing him out of all these jobs, eventually he'll land on a so-called better job. But this is really twisted. I mean, the guy's already dealing with anxiety because he can't figure out why this keeps happening to him. He probably feels like he's cursed. He actually says in the original post, I was too anxious to do anything about it. I just told my girlfriend and she comforted me. She supported me every time I got my life ruined by these people, but I kept going, though they kept finding me. If I had to guess, I would say the first theory is probably more likely, but let me know how you see this and what your theory is on this down below. What do you think would motivate her to do all this? Am I the jerk for installing a lock on the bathroom door after my brother-in-law kept barging in? I'm a 25-year-old female. My husband is 30 and my brother-in-law, who's 33, moved in with us after his divorce a few weeks ago. The problem is he started barging into the bathroom whenever I'm using it. He never knocks or anything. Another thing is he only does this when it's me in the bathroom and not his brother. I told my husband about what I noticed, but he laughed it off and called me paranoid. It was embarrassing because his brother would see me exposed and it made me feel uncomfortable. My husband said he spoke to him and he apologized, but he did it again. When my husband and I got married, we promised not to have locks or lock each other out of any room. So the bathroom didn't have a lock. I was really considering getting a lock and I let my husband know that if his brother walks in on me on the bathroom one more time, a lock will instantly be installed. He didn't say anything. Well, yesterday, my brother-in-law walked in on me showering. He knew I would be in the shower, but barged in claiming he needed to pee. I had enough and I went out and got a lock and installed it. My husband got home so saw it and blew up on me saying that I violated an agreement that we had and went against his wishes being uncomfortable with locks in the house. He demanded I remove it and promised and guaranteed that his brother wouldn't walk in on me again, but I refused. He's been pissed about it since then and is giving me the silent treatment. For more information, I'm not close with my brother-in-law. My husband is. I don't even talk to him that much and I barely ever sat with him at any gathering before he moved in with us. Jumping into the future, there is an update. So So before I provide an update on the situation, it's worth noting that my brother-in-law used to do this with the bedroom too, but at least I'm not always exposed in the bedroom. So my husband came home and I told him the lock will not be removed until his brother leaves and his reaction was to try and remove the lock himself and tell me to quit acting childishly. What I did was not shout or scream, but pack a bag and go to my mom's house for the next few days until this gets resolved somehow. On my way out, I saw my brother-in-law in the driveway smoke. He knew what the argument between me and my husband was about, but instead of stepping up to fix it, he offered to take me to my mom's house saying that my husband could use some space from me. This made me cry the whole Uber ride to my mom's house. The reason I feel offended is because my brother-in-law tends to be hurtful when he talks about others. I did all I could to win his approval, but he thinks less of me and thinks I'm childish, just like my husband says. So, am I the jerk? When they first got married, they decided to have an agreement not to have locks in the house. That seems a a little strange. Maybe that's something that people do normally, but I've never heard of that happening before. I'm guessing that one of them or both of them have had some issues with locks in the past, maybe something from their childhood or maybe something they think is going to happen. But even so, that agreement was probably made with the assumption that it would only be them in the house, not accounting for somebody who habitually just walks into the bathroom when they know that you're showering. I mean, that situation alone, how can the husband be okay with knowing that his brother is trying to sneak a peek at his wife while showering? And then he actually pee- 
keys to completion while she's showering right there. Since the OP didn't mention it, I'm assuming that there's only one bathroom in this house, but that still doesn't make it any less weird. But let me know how you see the situation down below and jerk or not a jerk and why. Am I the jerk for saying that I won't coddle my infertile sister anymore? My sister Julie has tried to have a baby for five years. She's had a miscarriage two years ago and outside of that has been unable to get pregnant. My heart hurts for her. However, one thing I don't agree with is how my family has handled it. We're not allowed to talk about babies around Julie. Any kids younger than three can't come to family events that she'll attend. She won't attend baby showers, baptisms, etc. The last one I understand, but the rest feels like overkill. I got pregnant last year and I told Julie first and she reiterated her boundaries. I said and I understood. The first hurdle came with my baby shower. My mother-in-law was throwing it. I didn't expect Julie to come. Then my mom told me I shouldn't have had one period out of respect. I said that was ridiculous. She didn't have to come, so what did it matter? Only three people from my side of the family came to the shower. When my son was born, I posted a birth announcement on Facebook. My parents lectured me for this and said that it was going to hurt Julie. I said that she could block or mute me. They said I should make the effort. Julie echoed that if I cared, I'd stop. I ended up blocking her just to save drama. My aunt's 70th birthday party is next week. My husband and I plan to go, bringing our son. Julie called and asked if we were going. She then asked for me to get a sitter for our son. I said no. She doesn't want to miss the party. My aunt is one of the few people that agreed that Julie's boundaries aren't fair and wants my son there, as she doesn't get to see him often. Julie got upset and started crying, saying that I was unfair. I finally snapped and asked, what would happen when she got pregnant? Would we all be expected to shower her with love and attention that she's refused to show and give other people's kids? Will her baby be allowed to attend events? She said that that was different. I said no. I'm not coddling her anymore. My son exists. He's family. He's coming. She can decide if she wants to come or not. My parents yelled at me for being mean to Julie. They offered to pay for a sitter, but I said no. It's not even her house. Am I the jerk? This is really bizarre. I get that it bothers her, but it's not the fault of the people around you for having babies. The OP makes a very strong point here. When this sister ends up having a baby, how does she expect everyone else to act towards that baby? To just forget that she shunned all the other babies because she couldn't have a baby when she wanted to have a baby? And even though the OP didn't mention this part, what happens if the sister never ends up having a baby? Everyone else has to perpetually live in a state of tiptoeing around the sister, Julie, so that she's not upset for the rest of her life? When you break it down, everyone is enabling this coddling, but it's the parents that are really reinforcing it. So let me know how you see the situation down below on jerk or not a jerk and why. When you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications. To finish listening to all the stories in this series, use the playlist at the top of the description. And next time you live stream, use the cream of the crop music. Search for cream of the stream on Spotify or whatever music platform you use for copyright free music to use for your stream. It's free cream of the stream. Either way, thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you guys next time.